It is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Happy to be back for another day and a good show coming up. Sarah McClellan from the Star Tribune, who covers the Wild, will join me here in just a couple minutes to talk about the upcoming draft and free agency. That draft starting tomorrow, first round on Wednesday night, rounds two through seven on uh, on Thursday. The Wild some high picks and some low picks. They pick uh, three times in the first two rounds, a first-round pick and two second-round picks. Then they don't pick again until the fifth round. So um, maybe take a break on Thursday somewhere in there between <laughs> the second and fifth round unless some wheeling and dealing happens. But that is the wild draft capital, and uh, Sarah and I will get into that as well as free agency coming up, other roster-building stuff, things of that nature. Got to get to some twins and uh, some wolves and some bigger thoughts here, which uh, which brings me to uh, what did I miss? The wolves introduced their second round picks to the media on Monday, and it, I, I was just struck. Um, you know, part of it I think is because of some of the potential of particularly Leonard Miller, who was a, a high second round pick. And Jalen Clark, um, both of their both of their second round picks this year. Part of it, you know, I was struck. Part of it, I'm sure, of what I was struck by in terms of the pomp and circumstance of the introduction of these two guys is they didn't have a first round pick, right? They didn't have a first round pick because of the Rudy Gobert trade. So making a kind of splash and you know, kind of the, the, it felt it felt to me. I wasn't there in person in this in this case, but it felt to me almost like the introduction that they would do for first-round picks, that these were being treated kind of as such. Um, and, you know, part of the reason, like I said, is because they didn't have first-round picks this year. Part of the reason, though, I feel like is that the NBA just simply values second-round picks more than it used to. And it's just kind of this ongoing quest to unearth talent. And I don't know exactly when it started, but it, it feels like second-round picks used to be more of you know either projects or kind of throwaway picks um you know just remembering the the earlier days of the Timberwolves in fact I went back and looked at it you know when Kevin McHale was running this franchise like listen to this run of second round picks that they had back in the day starting with I think 1997 Gordon Malone uh didn't play a game in the NBA Andre Patterson, 1998, played 40 games. These are second-round picks. 1999, Lewis Bullock did not play a single NBA game. 2000, Igor Rakosevich played 42 career NBA games. Um, 2002, Marcus Taylor from Michigan State did not did not play a single NBA game. Rick Rickert, um, infamously, 2003, you know, really good high school player here in Minnesota, went to the Gophers but did not play a single NBA game. 2004, Blake Stepp never appeared in an NBA game. 2005, Bracey Wright played 26 career NBA games. Now it started to shift a little bit as time went on, and they hit on some two, hit on some picks in the second round, probably most notably Nikola Pekovic, who was a very good player for them. Um, Mario Chalmers, who was traded almost immediately to Miami, played 646 career games. So they ended up having some more success in the NBA second round draft picks as time went on you know guys uh got, got like I mentioned Pekovic guys like Glenn Robinson went on to have a decent career um you know, CD Osmond who was picked by ostensibly by Cleveland in 2015 he had a decent career you know and guys later on like Jalen Noel a few years ago 
So the second round picks have become more prevalent in the NBA. And of course, um, Nikola Jokic, two-time MVP, a second round pick 10 years ago. So the NBA, I think his NBA has seen more value out of those picks as time has gone on, probably because of a few things, probably because the college game isn't quite what it used to be. You don't know what these prospects are going to be coming out of school. It's a little bit more of a crapshoot. You might be able to get either a more de- more established player, someone with a, a defined skill set in college, kind of like the Wolves got with the uh, with the second of their two picks, Clark, Jalen Clark, um, you know, very good defensive player. If they can give him a chance to get his Achilles healed up, he could be a very good player down the road for them, or at least a an important role player for them. And you know, and and Leonard Miller, kind of the opposite, a guy who you know went straight to the G League out of high school, had a good season, and you know has shown that he has maybe some of the potential to be very good down the road, has some of that positional versatility that teams crave. Um, speaking of Miller, I want to give uh, Tim Conley. He, Tim Conley, the Wolves uh, president of basketball operations, talked about Miller specifically. Here's what he likes about Miller. I know he can guard three positions, and then offensively we'll let uh, Coach Finch determine like where he could best be employed. Um, I think what's neat about um, the flexibility of our bigs is um, – you know, while Rudy's a pure five, we have some other guys who can play both the four and the five. Um, you know, offensively, um, we have a bunch of guys that uh, their skill set allows them to do things all over the court that generally most bigs can't. So, um, again, specific to Leonard, um, I guess it, it, you're going to figure out what you are. Well, your coach will figure out what you are. But um, I think it's one of the things really exciting about Leonard. We just think he's a basketball player. So, again, as teams are looking to fill out rosters with you know, lower cost players with guys with upside. And the Wolves have had some success with this. Like I said, Jalen Noel, Naz Reed, who just re-signed on a three-year, $42 million contract. Not a pick, but he was an undrafted free agent. Like, t- teams are finding talent elsewhere because it is a little bit more dispersed. These second-round picks are not just throwaways like they used to be. And we'll see how these guys pan out for the Wolves. But just kind of struck me that these guys were introduced, kind of almost felt like first-round picks, and that the league is taking these picks a lot more seriously, it feels like to me, than it used to as a whole. The Twins, meanwhile, on uh, Monday did not introduce anything new. They introduced more of the same. They lost 4-1 to one to Atlanta. Very meager offensive output. Joey Gallo with an early home run, and that was it. Six hits for the Twins. Notable by his absence in the lineup, Royce Lewis, 12 for his last 26, but did not play Monday. Byron Buxton did not start either. That took away quite a bit of their offensive firepower, or at least the potential for it from the start. And again, these guys can't play every day, so I'm not saying it's a, you know, I'm not necessarily questioning that decision, but um, you, you take those guys out of the lineup, especially Lewis, who's been one of their better hitters, who's been in the middle of a lot of rallies lately. That puts you behind from the start and a team that doesn't have a lot of offense, at least not consistent offense anyway, is going to struggle. They struck out 12 more times in this game, barreling towards a major league record for strikeouts in a season. They are now 40 and 40 on the season, still in first place in the American League Central, but tied now in the loss column with Cleveland. Cleveland 37 and 40, so technically a game and a half back. And I don't in this division, I don't know if you want to be back in the loss column or the win column. I don't know which one's more likely. Usually it's a good thing if the trail team good thing for the trail team to be caught up in the loss column, but in this case I think you'd rather bank some wins. But 
just just sensing this kind of malaise with this team. And I expressed this to Royce, I think, the other day. We just don't know. I don't know if they've got another gear. I think we keep keep expecting and waiting to find out if this team is better than they've played so far this season. And their run differential would suggest they are. Some of the talent they have on this team that's underperformed, like Carlos Correa, Buxton to a large degree, Max Kepler, although at this point I think Kepler is what he is too. Like some of the offensive numbers on this team are just not where you need them to be to be a better team. Is this is there hope in the second half, not just for maintaining the status quo for maybe getting into the playoffs in a bad division, but to actually create some separation for this team to be better? I thought there was for a while. I don't know that that's the case anymore. The more this season goes on and we are one game away from the absolute midpoint of this season, we pretty much know who this team is at this point, at least. They need to prove something else for me to think otherwise at this point. Not, you know, I'm not giving them much of the benefit of the doubt anymore, at least offensively. Pitching-wise, they've been great. Sonny Gray had another good outing that he got roughed up a little bit in the seventh inning, and Emilio, Emilio Pagan did not help, giving up a two-run home run as a, uh, I think, a 1-1 game turned into a 4-1 game. But, uh, you know, I think this team at this point just is what it is, and that's frustrating. That's frustrating to a lot of people right now because I think you see perhaps the pieces to be better, but you also see how these pieces have not fit together so far this season. MGM Wine & Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, premixed cocktails, wines, and, of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine & Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. Feels like a good time to talk wild hockey. Sarah McClellan from the Star Tribune joins me to do just that. First round of the draft is Wednesday, rounds two through seven the day after that. And then free agency, Sarah, my goodness, starts on Saturday. Um, could be a, a busy time, at least during the draft for the Wild. And I want to start there. Maybe we'll get into a little bit of free agency, although like you and I talked about before we even started recording, there's maybe not a ton they can do there, but still some decisions to make. But the draft is interesting just because it feels like they've done a good job in these last, you know, two, three years of kind of building up their their prospect pool and some of those players already contributing now. But, you know, organizational philosophy, specific players, like how how do you think they're approaching, you know, this draft with, you know, with the picks they have and, and kind of the slots they're in, especially in the first round? You're right. I really think they have prioritized their their draft capital and obviously specifically their top picks uh, I think even just looking back to this season this wasn't a team that was idle certainly in the trade market you look at all the players that were brought in during the season especially leading up to the trade deadline but they were moves that didn't cost the wild you know their first round pick even their second round pick and this has been a, a concerted decision effort by the front office to hold on to these picks because they see the value. They see that these are the players that turn into impact players. Um, they're very high assets. And then, you know, now, as you can see, then going into this draft, they obviously have their first rounder. They have two picks in the second round uh, going into the draft in Nashville. And then you look at 
the prospect pool that they've accumulated over these last few years. And you can see why it's so intriguing. The last few years, they've had a pair of first rounders um, that they've been able to select and add to that group. So I think now you're kind of at the life cycle where you're starting to see, okay, what's the next step then? for for this class of prospects it's been building they've been fostering that and now you know some of those key names have just turned pro or turning pro um so i think you know we'll start to see maybe still some more attention on their prospect pool but obviously the opportunity to grow and add more names um you know i think for them in the first round at 21 you know they obviously have to see what happens ahead of them but i i think there really could be um, you know, some options up the middle. I think this draft offers a lot in terms of centers, um, playmaking centers, scoring centers. But, you know, you know, I, I think that's a position, obviously, that grabs a lot of attention because it's such a premium position. It's such a position that once, you know, players are in the NHL, it's tough to acquire. It's tough to add, whether trade via or free agency. But at 21, I think, you know, there it may turn out that the best player available isn't a center. And I think in that case, best player available obviously wins out for the wild in what they do. I think they do have flexibility though, especially with those two second round picks. They're not too far apart. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if there is movement. I think that could be something that they consider, but obviously depth seems to be the name of the game for, for this draft. So if they just, you know, stay in their slots and make their picks, um, you know, it could be a situation again where we've seen in the past they they really are growing and adding to and in trying to enhance, obviously, this prospect pool. Um, you know, I think for them, they believe it's it's the philosophy of how an organization, you know, grows and finds top-end talent. But I think, too, it's obviously very indicative of their finances, their books, um, you know, the, the lack of salary cap space to maneuver to bring in outside players, these players that are homegrown and drafted and developed players are becoming really key. And I think that kind of a spotlight or magnifying glass is only going to continue to showcase that, that where they're at in their development as an organization. One of those second round picks is from that's from the Greenway trade, right? From last year. Is that is that right? So yes. now that gives them flexibility in terms of who they might pick. Does you know, I don't really know, and it probably varies from year to year. It depends on what, what they like. I mean, is Bill Guerin the type of GM that would use that capital to perhaps try to move up in the draft or try to you know try to leverage multiple picks to get up to a spot where he saw someone where he's like, this is a difference maker. I want this player. I don't want to wait till 21. I think it depends. Just like you said on where, you know, where everything happens before them. I think with those two in the second round, um, maybe that provides more flexibility because they're probably looking at a very similar player with those picks because of how close they are. Um, but you know, it, it's, I guess that's why it's the draft is so unpredictable. It's so tough to say, but I think what's clear with this draft class is the depth is there. So, you know, maybe it's moving back. I, I you know, it's not always moving up. I, I, it's tough to say with the way that their draft board would look like versus other teams. Um, you know, just looking at this first, this first round class, potentially a lot of centers, like I said, um, you know, someone like a Callum Ritchie could be there for them and Otto Stenberg, you know, there's, there's possibilities there, but 
like I said, I still think maybe it ends up being a winger and, um, you know, maybe a defenseman. You know, those are positions I think that you're looking for a team like the Wild to really probably key in on defensemen centers. But best player available when it comes down to it, I think, w- would rule out. And it may be a winger. Um, so it's it's obviously tough to predict, but I think, though, their track record has shown in the past that if you look at the positions they've added – you know, drafting a goalie in the first round, adding centers, but adding defensemen too. It's been a very, um, you know, diverse group of players that they've added positionally over the last few years. And so I think that then speaks to their overall philosophy in trying to find the best available talent and then, you know, seeing how these players develop and how they can potentially turn into impact players for this organization. Well, then it's that's the hardest part, right? Like you draft someone, and you, there, we have you know we see all these prospect rankings, and I've seen you know even as recently as a few months ago, like their their prospect pool is thought of very highly. Like even some some people rating them the number one kind of prospect group in the NHL, but there is still that next leap from prospect to pro, and I think we've seen it with you know, someone like Matt Boldy comes in as a, from a, from the prospect ranks and becomes an immediate contributor. And now is, you know, one of their one of their cornerstone players signs a large, you know, contract extension. Someone like Marco Rossi has needed more time. Like he tried they they thought maybe he was ready last year and he just he kind of stalled a little bit. They had to send him back. And that's a center that they're, you know, really if you're talking about a position of need, something that they would like to see come to fruition, but you can't just snap your fingers and say, Yep, he's he's ready. That that's the hard part about this is like you just you can you can project all you want. Sometimes it doesn't translate to that very top level. And I think now is the time when we're really going to start to see how those picks pan out and, you know, who turns in to a player from a pick to a prospect, who makes that progression and that transition to be able to get to the NHL level and stick. You mentioned Marco Rossi. Obviously, he made the team at a training camp last season but didn't stick was returned to the minors and still obviously had an effective season with Iowa what does he do next season coming in is he able to now go one step further and stick in the wild lineup someone like Jesper Wallstead obviously played his first season with Iowa in the American Hockey League after coming over from Sweden what's next for him and then even the group of players that are turning pro for next season, someone like a Carson Lambos, a Caden Bankier, like these are the players that, you know, to your point, um, you know, maybe stirred a lot of the praise that the Wild has received in recent years for their drafting and the pool of prospects that they've assembled. Okay, now what? Yeah. Now what type of impression do they make as pro players and how long is that timeline to get to the NHL. So you're right. I think this is going to be the very, a very telling chapter for, for this team's development. And again, it comes at a time when that type of, you know, roster building is going to be key just because of the cap crunch that's still in place. Um, obviously because of the Zach Parise and Ryan Suter buyouts, these are the, the most expensive years of those buyouts. And so at a time then when players can really move through the pipeline, a la Matt Boldy and, and make that, you know, transition to becoming full-time roster players that will totally help. If that's the case, this team kind of work through these financial restraints and then get to a point where, you know, they have effective NHL players on their roster, despite, you know, limited budget compared to some of their peers. Yeah. And this is the, 
like the second of three pretty punitive years for those buyouts, if I'm not mistaken. It felt like was last year the first kind of big one, then there's this year, and then there's the year after that. And then it's a few years of just like a million or two million on the cap, and it's not as bad. It doesn't feel, you know, this, these years are like 14, 15 million though, right? Right. It's going to ease up after these next two seasons, but these next two, next two seasons are approximately 15 million. Yeah, that's a lot. That's like, that's like 20, 25% of your cap. That's a lot. It's sizable, obviously, and you can. I, you know, I think one way to think about it too is imagine what this team could accomplish with you know an extra yeah. roughly fifteen million. Uh, you know what they could do with that, but that's not the case. This is their reality, and I think it kind of goes hand in hand then with you know the focus and commitment that they've made to their prospect, well, to drafting, to holding on to these picks instead of making deals. Um, you know, where where they trade them and maybe get an already established NHL roster player. You know, I, I think it it just, you know, totally illuminates where they're at in their life cycle. And I think it's probably going to be the case for these next few seasons just to see how they navigate, you know, this budget and where they sit at the end of it. How many of these prospects will be on this roster, you know, at the end of maybe these, this two season period? Right. And you mentioned um, that they might target a center, but it could end up being defense, maybe even wing. Just kind of depends on best player available. Probably not a goalie, though. Like you said, they already dra- they drafted a goalie in the first round, Jasper Wallstead, a few years ago, and then they had uh, Philip Gustafson kind of you know emerge last season um, after the trade with Ottawa, and you know become really a a guy who is at least a one A and who started their playoff games over um, the respected veteran uh, Mark Andre Fleury. You know, Flurry won't be here forever, but you can imagine those two, those two younger goalies being kind of a, a tandem for a while, or, or at least you know being the, the ones that hold down the crease for for quite some time. That said, um, Gustafson is a restricted free agent. That's a piece of business they have to attend to um, relatively soon, right? Well, that's the other kind of piece of the puzzle, obviously, is, is the draft is going on, but they still do have players to sign despite, obviously, their limited flexibility financially. Gustafson is one of them, obviously. Um, but even some of their other, you know, regulars throughout the season, a Brandon Duhame, uh, Mason Shaw is another restricted free agent. So they have players to sign, obviously. Um, I think it'll be what could be interesting to watch is if they do anything else to try to create more flexibility, um, you know, how aggressively do they explore the trade market to see if that's a way to either create more flexibility to create more cap space or to just change up this roster. I mean, most of this lineup is under contract, so it's not like they need to fill a lot of holes. Um, So, you know, if or what kind of change could they pursue? Um, You know, I think approximately, according to Cap Friendly, they have around $8 million in cap space. Um, So that's some money to work with. Obviously, you can kind of see the math, the way it would project if, you know, with the players they they have to sign, like a Gustafson, um, if they, you know, get Duhame re-signed, obviously, you know, there's there's ways to eat that up um, and probably pretty quickly. um, But, you know, what else do they try to accomplish? I I think this is probably the time where it'll be interesting to see what they pursue if they get creative. Um, Because, you know, they don't really have to. Like we said, this roster is signed. Um, obviously, you know, losing in the first for the playoffs, but still, um, you know, one of the more successful regular seasons in team history. 
so I think that's I think that's what's going to be interesting to keep an eye on is just how they decide to incite change if they do and how much they might pursue. Yeah, I mean, and like you said, a lot of that would have to probably be via the trade or or some other mechanism because there's just not a lot of not a lot of room unless they you know cleared space via a trade and then were able to sign other players. I mean, the only significant contract coming off the books really though is is Matt Dumba and is you know maybe maybe someone like Ryan Reeves is a decision to make but we're not you're talking about a roster that's going to feel pretty familiar like you said to to last year and it's going to be up to you know internal improvement and, and things like that for them to have a different outcome next season unless like you said they they do decide that there needs to be a, a medium or large move that that they make but that it doesn't doesn't feel like there's a lot of momentum towards that at this point right yeah you're you know you're right like this it's a it's a lineup that is going to obviously have i think a lot of returning players a lot of players are under contract um so i i think you know perhaps some of the biggest change it could very much be internally um you know brock Faber, who came in late in the season um you know if he is able to to show from the start that he can handle that position and he sticks from the get-go um you know it's not to say even though you know they don't have a lot of financial flexibility to to tap into and see and explore maybe free agency which starts on saturday um, that doesn't mean that it's maybe going to exactly have the exact same feel or roster. Um, you know, if a Rossi comes in and is able to make a splash and just stick, that could be a new dynamic or a new dimension for this lineup, clearly, especially with the position he plays being up the middle. Um, what type of impact does Faber have from the beginning? Um, how much does that poise that he showed in the playoffs late in the season translate um, after summer of training, you know, into, you know, a full 82 game type season. Um, Addison as well, you know, if, if that's another player that comes in and really reestablishes himself as a power play quarterback, but as someone who can handle all situations and provide that defensive steadiness that this team obviously needs from everyone. Um, so even though it, it doesn't look like there's a lot of ways for this team to change, I still think it can have, maybe a different vibe, maybe that type of improvement that's been missing, you know, those types of tweaks potentially that, um, you know, can help a team evolve, even though it looks like it's probably going to be the same. There's still ways for this team to to improve and get better. Yeah, and maybe one final thought is, you know, like you said, Garen was pretty creative at last year's trade deadline and not giving away the future while still figuring out ways to potentially add impact players in the playoffs and not all those moves worked out equally i think you would i think that happens with with all trades but you saw you know you saw them trying to inject some offense into the lineup and you know players like that become available then you don't have to pay for them for the whole year you have to pay for them for you know three you know a quarter of the year and then it's a then it becomes manageable on your cap and it becomes manageable in terms of you know, if they're just rentals, that doesn't cost a lot of draft capital, things like that. So maybe that's an approach they're going to take again this year, kind of see what see what's missing by the trade deadline. And if they feel like they've got a team that can at least compete again in the playoffs, try to go that route again without sacrificing too much in the short term. I look at that Marcus Johansson deal, and I think that's probably a very good template. And it's obviously one that worked out for the Wild, a slam dunk deal. He comes in, he's familiar. Um, you know, you're right, a deal before the deadline. Um, 
and he comes in and he obviously finds chemistry with Matt Boldy. He he really, I think, reinforces this team's scoring. Um, and then they re-sign him, obviously. Right. He he is someone who is coming back on that two-year deal that they signed with him after the season. So um this isn't like you said, there is way there are ways to be creative. This is obviously is a front office that's shown that it's it's been able to find ways to still evolve you know, this roster and this lineup, um, despite obstacles that may look like they're in the way. So there's still time, you know, the draft is, is, is on deck, obviously free agency. Um, it'll be interesting to see the read, like I said, especially on this prospect pool, who stands out maybe in training camp, maybe, you know, a depth chart emerges that looks different than maybe, on paper, it seems like it is now, um, what type of change can happen internally. Um, but also, yeah, any other type of moves that this team has made, the track record is there that this team isn't afraid to change or evolve. So even with some of the restrictions in place, it'll be interesting to see if they're able to accomplish that again. Absolutely. And a lot of these players that are going to be picked on Wednesday, I mean, we won't Wednesday and Thursday, we won't know them immediately. We won't know their impact, but these are the guys that could be contributing in 2025 2026 like those years in the future when the they should really be kind of ascending when they're when they're no longer in this kind of cap jail of their own of their own decision and of their own of their own i say making is the wrong word but like you know they 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 made this decision to to you know to do to do the buyouts probably with kind of better days ahead but kind of figuring out the the short term but these are the guys that are going to contribute when the days are better and these are the players too that you know are the ones that get traded for are the ones that command the big deals in free agency. So if you can get in as a team at the ground floor at the draft, I think that's obviously a very ideal model for a lot of teams, especially one like the Wild right now with where they're at in their life cycle as an organization. Absolutely. Well, Sarah will be covering the draft all week, and you should be covering, I'm sure, free agency when it starts Saturday as well, even if it's not. Um, even if it's not much of a hot stove for the wild, you never know. We'll see, but uh, she'll have it all covered for you. Sarah, appreciate the time as always. We'll catch up again soon. Sounds good. Take care. Good stuff from Sarah as always. And kind of a unifying theme. Let's use this for the cooler, you know, talking about the wild, talking about the wolves, you know, even a lot of the Vikings off season talk we've had, and even to a degree, the twins, a lot of major league sports right now, big time sports are built around kind of a, a stars and that's I think scrubs is the wrong way to put it, but a, a stars and kind of the younger class of players who are cost controlled. That is how teams are built right now. The wild kind of going through that to a large degree because of the buyouts to Parisi and Suter. So you've got Kaprizov up at the top of the food chain, but you need a lot of these guys, these young players to come through this year on those entry-level deals and perform for the Wild this year. The Wolves are going to need the same thing with a top-heavy roster, guys making a lot of money, especially a year from now. Twins kind of have a, the similar thing, right? Carlos Correa making a bunch of money. Uh, Byron Buxton has a big contract. And they've got a lot of guys who you know fill out the roster in a big way, guys like Joe Ryan who aren't making much at all right now because they're so young but are still performing. And the Vikings need the same thing. Justin Jefferson still on his rookie deal. He's going to make a huge amount of money soon. They are going to need people around him, around 
you know, around this time, and that's part of part of the conversation around the quarterback. How can they get younger and cheaper at certain positions in order to have some roster balance? So that's very prevalent in sports these days. I don't feel like that is the roster building of yesteryear, but it is certainly how teams are built right now across the board. That will do it for me today. Expecting to have AJ Przinski, former Twins catcher, on Wednesday's show. Going to talk to him later on Tuesday, so that should be a fun one, catching up on all sorts of stuff. I'm certain to pick his brain on modern baseball and this year's Twins. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again tomorrow.